Welcome to Talkie Talk, podcast for the BeautyBias.com. Joining me today is TJ. Yup. It's just me and TJ today. This is Chris. And we're here to talk about the homework that I assigned last week and do a little bit of uh, revisionist history and talk just generally about movies that we don't think got the proper due. Um, just kind of generally uh, going to... Uh, we have a bone to pick with some of the Academy selections um, and just thought this might be a fun thing to do. And this will this will mark when I'm done talking about Green Book. I know I'm tired of hearing myself talk about it and I don't even edit these anymore. So, <laughs> <clears throat> But anyway, uh, quick plot synopsis on the movie Babel. This is uh, Inuritu's uh, fourth movie, I believe, uh, fourth or fifth. It is about four uh, seemingly unrelated vignettes um, dealing with a an American couple who are uh, touring or who are tourists in Morocco. Um, it is about the. Sorry, I'm sorry. Dude. It's all right. There's also a story about a uh, a nanny. Uh, and two kids who she takes down to Mexico for her son's wedding, a deaf-mute girl in Japan, and a uh, two young boys uh, who are also in Morocco. Um, <clears throat> the story, like the title implies, is largely about the difficulty in language um, and people's ability or inability to communicate. Um, you know, you've got... The, the tourists, played by Blanchett and Brad Pitt mm-hmm. in Morocco, um, you know, she gets she gets shot by, like, an errant bullet, and uh, they take the, like, I guess the tour director, uh, or, like, not the bus driver, but, like, the tour director takes them to his village where there's a doctor, and, you know, it's everyone speaking Arabic, and they don't know, so they just kind of have to trust uh, her life to these people, uh, not knowing the language and not being able to, like, effectively talk at all. Um, except with the, the, the tour director who seems like the most powerful person on the planet to them. Right. Uh, for being able to speak both English and Arabic. Um, you know, obviously, uh, Rinko Kikuchi's character, Chieko, has an added layer of difficulty where she is a Japanese girl in Japan, but she is a deaf mute, um, and kind of is in a social clique, is in a, on a volleyball team that is all, uh, deaf mute girls. Yeah. And, uh, has a group of friends who are all deaf mute as well. Well, not all of them are mute also, but they're all deaf. And they all speak in sign language, um, I guess to be Japanese sign language. And <clears throat> then the um, the American kids down in Mexico uh, have the added difficulty of it being a more grown-up affair because they're at a wedding and they're children and weddings are not for kids. Um, That's a good thing about that. Yeah. But, uh, and then... The two Moroccan boys, kind of less so, uh, difficulty with with language and communication. Um, they're 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 more kind of the Chekhov's gun of the whole thing. Uh, you find out late in the movie that all of these stories are related uh, back to a single uh, Winchester rifle. Um, Chieko's father went on a hunting trip in Morocco, where as a thanks to the the guide uh, being a fantastic guide on his hunt, uh, Hassan Ibrahim. Uh, he gives him the gun as thanks, who he then sells that gun to uh, 
Yusuf and Ahmed's father uh, to shoot jackals who are preying on their goats. And then as they're testing the gun, or they're basically being boys, doing the like, I bet you can't hit that. And then a bus drives down the road. That bus is uh, the one that Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett are on. So then the bullet actually hits the window. They don't even think it hits the bus. Right. Because they don't see anything. And it's a, it's a you know, a small rifle. Right. Um, and uh, then it turns out that the phone call from the beginning of the movie to... I forget her name. I think it's Imelda, uh, the housekeeper, mm-hmm. nanny. Not housekeeper. She's a nanny. Um, <clears throat> was from Brad Pitt after Kate Blanchett was taken to a real hospital, um, and was a was Brad Pitt calling to say like everything's okay. You know she's going to be fine. She's not going to lose her arm, uh, and telling her that a replacement's on the way and she can go to her son's uh, wedding. Right. So all kind of interrelated uh, to. To this gun, um, I know you said that this is this is the third in Inuritu's uh, death trilogy. This is his third film. Okay, it's his third film. Yeah, Morris Paris, Twenty One Grams, and then this. Yeah, um, and so I mean, it's the the gun is is kind of the the MacGuffin, which makes it fit to me for the for the death trilogy, like fit into the to the theme. Yeah, because you know a gun is just potential energy for creating death. Right. Um, you do get a little of the whole, so that's the name of the movie, right? It's yeah. like the Tower of Babel's the like origin myth in the Bible for why there are different languages and why they're all spread out. Yeah. So God would made it, God made it hard for humans to communicate so they couldn't build the tower to the heavens. Right. Because they were trying to be closer to God and live right. in the heavens without having earned it. So right. he was like, oh yeah, guess what? Languages. Yeah. And spread you out everywhere. So yeah. you can't just like teach everybody everything. Um, I got a little bit of that. I actually did think some of the kids being raised in like that strict kind of, you know, Middle Eastern family. Yeah. Um, especially with the whole like the youngest one, Yusef. Yeah. Spying on his sister and his sister like kind of stripping for him. Right. Um, that's like, it would be frowned upon here. Right. Or in Europe. But like there, it's like, oh my God. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, in, in Muslim culture. There's yeah. a, a little disconnect there too where like it's hard for eight-year-old kids to know that. You yeah. Know what I mean? Yeah, and I mean, I think that, that language is most people's analog for culture. Um, you know, it's 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 a stand-in, and it's a big marker for what separates cultures, is different languages. So I think that, that it is definitely a strong component, especially with the language like Arabic, um, where uh, it is spoken by so many people all over the world, and the culture varies between those areas sure. and locations and countries. Um, but it is still very much unified underneath, uh, you know, a religion or a language or customs. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, I, I said before I assigned this that I, I really love this movie. I think that it is uh, very poignant. Uh, I don't think that it is... It only gets a little... Uh, kind of saccharine and just over the top with, uh, you know, Brad Pitt's, uh, character being like so gracious. And at the end, when they finally get the helicopter in, he tries to give the guy cash and the guy's like, no, no, I don't want your cash. Yeah. Like I did this because like, I'm a, I'm, I'm a human being and you're a human being. Yeah. You know, you would do this for me basically. Right. Um, that, that to me was a little like the gesture seemed a little like hammy. Yeah. 
But the rest of it is just, I think, is just incredible. All the performances are good. Gael Garcia Bernal's in it as kind of like the, like the fun-loving, like drunk kind of asshole uncle. Yeah. Uh, who kind of leads to the tumultuous events of Imelda and the two kids yeah. uh, getting stranded in the desert um, as he's on the run from the border cops when he jumps the border. Uh, even though they're all legal, it's just cause or assumed legal, because I mean, Imelda has been working. She says that she's been working in America for seventeen years. Yeah, can you explain the end of that? Because was she just not able to work, even though she was there legally? Is I, that what they were trying to get at, or was she just like, are they just like fucking with her and being like, you're just done? No, I think I think that, that she probably was in the country illegally because she you had know, a passport though. She she had a. I don't know. Maybe maybe she had overstayed her visa. That that's how most people like yeah. illegally immigrate. Just lapse. Yeah, they, yeah, their visas lapse. Their work visa, whatever, lapses, and they just like, right. never renew it. A lot of times because the messaging's not clear. Right. Which is you know something that is probably a fourth, fifth, sixth layer removed from the title babble and communication issues. Right. Um. But yeah, Bernal's really good. The woman who plays Imelda, whose name I don't know, uh, shame on me. Uh, is really good as well. Um, she's got a funny scene where she's zipping up the dress that she wore uh, uh, at like the last thing, and she's like, "Look, it fits like a glove," and like the zipper bursts in the back like a little bit. Um, yeah, she got actually uh, Adriana Barraza, who plays Amelia, and uh, Rinka Kikuchi both got nominated for best supporting actress. Nice. Um, but yeah, so I've kind of droned on and on about this for like ten minutes now. What did you think of it? Uh, yeah, it's great. Like I said, I, I like half watched it in like oh eight seven oh eight, so it had been a while. Yeah, um, I kind of knew what it was, but uh, I didn't remember a ton of details. Yeah, it's really good. The acting is phenomenal. I think um, uh, Kikuchi steals the film when she's on screen. Oh yeah, though she's ridiculously good. Um, to the point where I assumed she was deaf and mute until I realized I'd seen her in a bunch of movies. Yeah. Um. Yeah, a bunch of the United States Mexico story was uh, really well cast too. I mean, with with her getting nominated, Guy Ritchie and I talked about El Fanning plays one of the kids. Yeah. Um, Michael Pena does a does a small Michael role. Pena, Michael Pena and Clifton Collins both play the border patrol agent. Clifton Collins is really good in that little scene. At yeah, the border coming back at the end. Um, the kid actors in Morocco were good. Yeah. Um, really made you hate the older brother. Yeah. He's just, just for being a dick. He's just kind of a snitch. Yeah. Like, and I mean, obviously when you've got something like the, the police are coming around finding out who shot this gun. Like, right. You know, but when, when pressed for any amount of information, he kind of gives it all away. Yeah. The whole, like what they're talking about, the, especially cause they think she's dead. Right. They think that she killed somebody and he's just like, she also, he also looks at like his sister naked. Yeah. And she does it for him. It's like, right. It's a little shit. <laughs> yeah, but then when when you see the 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 Moroccan police officer like beating up the Hassam Ibrahim, yeah, for just like not knowing like where yeah. where where the guy who he sold the gun to like is physically located at this present moment, right? Which is impossible in like a tiny village in Morocco, right? Uh, you like, yeah, I'd fucking. <laughs> I'd fucking try and get on the good side of that cop too. He beat the shit out of that dude. Yeah. And then when he couldn't find him, he came back and continued to beat the shit out of him. Yeah. He picked up where he left off. Yeah. I did like that. That story was really good. The Morocco story. I mean, I think Japan is probably my favorite. There's a lot of, uh, 
weird stuff going on in the Mexican like culture. Yeah, in that that was super interesting. Uh, I mean, there were like huge moments where like the when Gallagher Percent all rips the chicken's head off and they chase the headless chicken. Oh yeah, like I know that's a thing, but there are like little subtle moments too where it's just like I was talking to Sandra, and I was like, "Fuck, man, Mexico and Morocco look like shit." Yeah, yeah, the it way just looks, it's just like they did such a good job of making it. Just like the wedding is like just dust. Yeah, everywhere, man. Yeah, there's there's like nothing but like dust and dirt just all over that wedding. People are kicking it up like I was thinking about like how mad I would be if I was getting married and a bunch of kids like ran ahead of the wedding party as they're walking to like where they're going to go like drink and dance and kicked up all that dust that you've got to walk through now. <laughs> just be like so pissed off. These kids have any energy at all. Yeah, um masterfully edited from story to story, though, that was something that really stood out in a good way. Yeah. Um, for me, which, I, you know, makes sense. Yeah. I, I really love the the score also. I think the, the, the piece that the movie ends with, which I think is a Philip Glass song, um, or composed by Philip Glass, that song just kind of sticks with me, and just that image. Uh, you know, Chieka has come across, uh, come communicated with the detective in one way that a prepubescent girl knows, not prepubescent, but a, uh, you know, a 16 year old girl knows how, and that she kind of communicates with sex, um, and, uh, is rebuffed by this detective who kind of knows cause they talked about her dead mother. She's like really kind of struggling emotionally and mentally. Yeah. And so he like turns her down cause he's not a fucking monster. Right. Um, but her just standing on the balcony up on like the, the 40th floor of this high rise in Tokyo just naked as her, like, dad is, like, embracing her. I just love that song. Yeah. It was really good music. Yeah, that whole scene was fantastic. Yeah. The last scene in the Japan story. I guess the last scene in the movie. Yeah. Um, it was really good. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's so hard for me. Like, I understand, as someone who, like, you know, spent some part of my youth in... Canada and is used to, you know, seeing signs in two different languages in French and English. And then, you know, coming down here, like doing a small study abroad in Ecuador. Like, I understand, like, this sounds really juvenile, but, you know, people speak different languages and it's hard to communicate. Right. Like, I've traveled moderately for someone my age. So I, I get being in another country, not being able to talk and not even recognizing the alphabet, even. Right. Um, but the thing that I just cannot get my head around and just, is is how difficult it it could be for someone who is a deaf mute trying to communicate in a hearing speaking world. Yeah. Um, you know, sure she has her notepad that she relies on to communicate, but she can read lips like if somebody's talking slow enough. Right. And so then then when she meets her friend's cousin uh, and and his like boys and he just immediately starts by like making eye contact with her and speaking really slowly to her. Like, that must be such a blessing to have that. Yeah. Like, when you run into that situation, and I was telling you about a dumb, like, GIF that I saw today. Yes, I fall on that side of the GIF-GIF debate. <laughs> um, where it's a Santa Claus, a mall Santa Claus, and a uh, yeah, deaf yeah. girl comes and sits on his lap. He doesn't realize she's deaf until the parents point it out. And the parents are surprised because then the Santa Claus starts, like, signing to the girl. Yeah. Like... It's stuff like that where you see that little little gif on the internet and it's Santa and a little girl, so it's like super sweet. Right. But I have the exact same feeling when even though they're like about to like drink whiskey and take ecstasy and go to the club and like, you know, presumably fuck. 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, it's still just as sweet to me that, like, this guy is aware that not everyone is of, like, the hearing community. That non-hearing community exists. He knows his cousin is non-hearing and is, like, it's not, like, a joke to him like some of the other kids they've interacted with where they say that, like, they treat them like monsters just right. because they can't hear. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think that's probably why I like the, the, the Japan one the best. I think I do, too. Also, that culture is so fun because it's, like, you know, kind of America, like, to the yeah degree. So, like, them at, like, J-pop, which is, like, I had to get Cassandra because Cassandra spent time there. Yeah. Tell me kind of what that was. And she was just, like, multi-level, like, everything is what it is. It's just, yeah. like, arcades and dance floors and discos and restaurants and bars and... Yeah. And apparently places to flash your beaver. Yeah. That was... that For somebody who had seen the movie once, that kind of came out of nowhere to me. I was yeah. like, oh. Yeah, there's there's some, some jarring nudity in this movie. <laughs> Because, I mean, she's she's supposed to be 16. The actress is not 16 when she filmed this, but she's no. supposed to be 16. And but I wonder she, how old the girl in Morocco was. I mean, we didn't see anything, but we saw her, like, naked back. Yeah, she seemed really young. Yeah. But, that uh... Was, made me feel... They also... He films that through the people. Right. To make you feel even more, like, a voyeur yeah. or whatever. Um, um Yeah. But yeah, so I I think this movie is phenomenal. I don't know if you have anything else you want to add about it. Um, you're no, I mean, it. yeah, I was reading little trivia bits on it, but yeah, no, it's it's great. If for Inner Retu, it's interesting. So I, I haven't seen a Morris Paris or Twenty One Grams. You've seen a Morris Paris, right? Yeah. Um, I haven't seen Beautiful either. Actually, um, you like you're a big fan of that. Too, Love right? Beautiful, yeah. yeah. But you don't want to watch it again. No. Okay. <laughs> I, I might just to get Kelly to watch it, but it is a very sad movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I probably would have Babel behind, definitely behind Birdman. Um, probably about where I have Revenant, which to say is good. I mean, I love the Revenant. Yeah. It was amazing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've seen three of this guy's movies. I think they would all get well, talk of fame votes from me probably already. Yeah. Um, I might sit on The Revenant a little longer and watch it again. Yeah. Like I only saw it during the Oscar push, which is not a great viewing, you know. Mm-hmm. I need to I need to watch 21 Grams. It's the only one I haven't seen of his. Um, but I love Amoris Paris. It was like, I think like... what. If you decide to take that spade and dig a little deeper after you've seen, like, the very first recommendations people give you about, like, great foreign films. Yeah. And you get past City of God for, like, Latin America. Yeah. You'll, you'll, you'll stumble into some of the, uh, the Mexican triad of directors, uh, earlier films. And Amores Paros is just great. And it's, it's kind of a similar, uh, like, system, like, the way that it's storyboarded. In that there's three vignettes in Amoris Perros. It doesn't really cut between them as much. 21 Grams does the same thing. Okay. It doesn't cut between them as much, but it does have like the one unifying uh, kind of aspect. And it's, you know, the, it's, it's all there. It's all loosely related to like, you know, the dogs in uh, the community. Right. I think one of the stories is like dog fighters. One of them, someone has like a runaway dog. Uh, and then, you know, you find out later that one of the, Dogs that ran away used to be one of the dogs that they were fighting with, and then you get another story where they rescue this dog. But it's about all the relationships outside of that. The way that this isn't about the gun, 
but it's all that's what ties this family of Americans to, you know, the Japan plot and the Mexican wedding and everything. Yeah, Twenty One Grams, I think, is Benicio um, del Toro is like a born again Christian, and mm-hmm. uh, Sean Penn is like a dying scientist or something. Naomi Watts is like a grief stricken mother, mm-hmm. and it bounces back between the three of them. Okay, um, but all with those three, I mean, it's a good cast. Yeah, so, it's weird. That's the. It's interesting that the first two waves of the movie of the Death Trilogy for Inaritu were one is you know a straight up Mexican film, yeah. one is very American and all English, and then Babel, which is it up, yeah, yeah, which is yeah, everything, which is <laughs> I think when we watched it the next, so I was like, is it a foreign language movie? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> like I mean, there is foreign language in it, I guess. Yeah, it's mostly foreign, right. Uh, and the times where like Santiago Galgacio Bernal's character like speaks English, it's jarring because you've only ever heard him speak Spanish. And then when he gets to the border crossing and he speaks English, it's like, oh wait, that's right. People speak two languages. Yeah, like that's a thing in the real world. It's just that you these are interactions that people are having not at the border of a culture, but deep into it. Right. Like you are thrust into like the belly of this. And yeah, not- I'm just now it's all clicking to me that he had the gun. Yeah. That's the reason he, he had the gun. Drunk. and He was drunk, right? Yeah, that's the reason why he was so abruptly ran away from federal agents. Yeah, how how crazy is that border crossing compared to like what it is today? Yeah, like now it's like there would be like twenty cars chasing him. They would he would not lose them in the desert. No, no fucking chance. It's so hard to lose them in the desert. Yeah, I mean, I, what, really, what you would do is just drive off and then turn the lights off and hope they don't see you. Right, because if you have your lights on at night. I mean, yeah, I can see for hundreds and hundreds of kilometers. Yeah, and if you drive through the desert, you're going to kick up so much dust and sand that they're just going to follow that trail. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I bring this up and I assign this movie because, like I said, I've got a, an itch that I need to finish scratching. Um, doctor recommended that I stop, but I just can't. Uh, and I, I wanted to kind of point the finger at the Academy as like our... Um, we know you're not perfect kind of podcast conversation and just say that, uh, the year that, that this was nominated at the Academy Awards 2006, it was nominated for best picture, which I think is very deserving. Uh, I think it is one of the, the, the best movies of the year. Uh, but I think it lost to a movie that shouldn't have won. And I don't want to use this as an opportunity to talk shit about movies, I want to use it as an opportunity to talk about movies that are also great and maybe greater uh, without denigrating the other. But yeah, the, I'm going to talk about a score at some yeah. point. I don't know the scores of all the movies that got nominated, but I can assure you they're not as iconic as the one I don't want to talk about. Yeah. Right. But so, so particularly, it was nominated against uh, The Departed, which ended up winning. And while I do like the movie The Departed, I just don't see it as... Um, a movie that I would pick as the best of the year, only because it felt it, did, it felt a little like a gimme for Scorsese. You know, Scorsese had been nominated a lot, but won zero. Zero, and The Departed is is a is a very proficient outing in filmmaking, but it's I think I don't know this, but. It felt like an insular academy move to recognize him for that movie. It definitely was. Um, and then when you've got a guy like Inuritu who is made a couple waves with Amoris Paris, 
I think that was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film. And uh, and then 21 Grams getting critical acclaim. Uh, you know, this this is a guy who was a true outsider to uh, the Academy. And this movie just kind of pops up and gets a ton of nominations. 21 Grams had Naomi Watts for Best Actress and Benicio Del Toro for Best Supporting Actress. Yeah. So, I mean, it was... Yeah, I know 29 Grams definitely made a splash, but, you know, Babel really created the, a, a tidal wave for Inuri 2. Yeah, Babel was the front runner that year for a while. Yeah. I mean, um, and, yeah, Amaris Press was nominated for Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film. Lost because that was the Crouching Tiger year. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it's just an, an unfortunate year for it when you've got someone. It's like any actress who went up against Sandra Bullock the year that she won for The Blind Side. Like, you know, there's no doubt that what Sandy B did was really good work, and she was a great actress in it. But you know, when you nominate and and select people to win the award who have just deserved it a lot, like it 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 hurts other people. It's weird because you know some people were talking about uh, you know people who weren't big fans of Black Klansmen were saying that this year in particular that. Even though Black Klansman was good, like they, they just wanted to give Spike an Oscar. And we talked a little bit about that, but we also all saw Black Klansman and thought that that was a deserving adapted screenplay Yes, uh, win. Yes. Um, but, yeah. So I wanted to just kind of kind of rake the coals a little bit with Babel and then see if you had any any years, movies, or situations where you think that some, something didn't, didn't get the nod that it deserved. First off, that year of Babel, it's funny, I went to the, the ninth episode of Talkie Talk was a uh, um, episode where we did our favorite movies for every year since 1985, essentially. Yeah. And uh, we did, in 2006, Babel's actually nowhere on there. The Departed is Brent's favorite of that year, but okay. I have Pan's Labyrinth, you have The Host. Yeah. And David had Children of Men. Uh, all four of those, though, are badass movies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a, a stacked year before the, the 2007 year of craziness. Yeah. Um. But I definitely think uh, Babel is probably more deserving than The Departed for me. I definitely think Pan's Labyrinth. Well, I'd probably put Children of Men ahead of it. Yep. Um, and the host is tough. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's kind of like, you know, when we're going to go through this, we're not going to be like, uh, what's a movie we love? Like Groundhog's Day or Ghostbusters yeah. and be like, Ghostbusters was better than Gandhi or whatever. Right. Because it's not. <laughs> we yeah. like it a lot better, but. Yeah. We, we get it. It's not a better film or right. movie. I mean, not trying to be snooty about it. No, I mean, it's, it's you know, I, I, I have a lot of fond feelings for the host because I think it is a, like a really great uh, kind of spoof on a genre of movies that we don't really get in the U.S. a lot, you know. Right. In the, the monster movie and the, like, sci-fi creature feature anymore. Right. And then they just did it, like, an update that was just so well executed. You know, I like, you know, in reflection, I like Babel better. Yeah. Um, I also, back on episode nine, used to do zero preparation for right. any podcast. <laughs> so there's a chance that I forgot that Babel was 2006. Right. Um. <laughs> um, but but anyway, yeah, there, there are a few things like that. that uh, I like the idea of the podcast. That's a fun, fun yeah. thing. We're also putting Babel on the talk of fame. It's one of Chris's auto inductees. Yeah, it's in there, so deal with it. Brent and David. Yeah. I think I'd probably get we a yes did. vote out of David. Yeah, you get a yes vote out of me, too. So yeah. We're good. And then maybe Brent would be a no after I talk shit about The Departed, since that was his favorite movie of 2006. 
Maybe he also forgot about that. <laughs> Maybe he also forgot about that. I actually don't think. I think Brent was the person who hadn't seen it. Yeah, he hadn't. Okay. I don't believe. Yeah. Um. But yeah, there 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 are a few of the one of the first ones that uh, came to my mind was a score one actually. Uh, well, first I made sure I was pretty sure it had that John Williams won for Jaws. Yeah, and he did. Yeah, and he should have. Yes. Uh, kind of just like um. I actually want to say Wes Craven, but it's not Wes Craven. John, John Carpenter, Carpenter should have won Best Score for Halloween in 1978, oh, at least yeah. been nominated. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's probably the most recognizable, like, piece of film music after Jaws. Yeah. Like, there's no... You at least might confuse, like, Indiana Jones and Star Wars if you're, like, a novice and not into those genres. Yeah, I think, like, outside of, like, the opening, like, horn fanfare from the intro to Star Wars... Like and the, yeah. the Imperial Death March. Like yeah. once you get outside of those two songs and you start picking out, like you, you, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, you could confuse it for any number of John Williams if you're not a big Star Wars fan. Right. But uh, there is no confusing that little piano and little piano riff and synth tune. Yeah, and we get no love there. It's, it feels like it's just a very like we're not there yet in 1978. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, only year like coming off of a year where Get Out was nominated for Best Picture and where, like, Us has a shot at getting some nominations. Yeah. It's... They, they weren't there. And I get that, but... Especially because, at the time, uh, Carpenter was a, uh, like, not even, like, an independent filmmaker. He was basically like a, I'm gonna make this movie for basically no money. Right. Like, I think the movie cost $50,000 to make. $50,000, like, flat. Yeah, it was it's so cheap. It's It was some, like, ridiculous figure if it's not 50, uh, and I'm misremembering. But that's why the score is so simple because John Carpenter was not a musician and he was like, I guess I gotta gotta like have a score. And so he did it himself. Yeah. And then not to rail off all the ones I thought of, but the same vein, so I'll go ahead and mention it was Jurassic Park not getting nominated for Best Picture in ninety three, a year in which Steven Spielberg directed the Best Picture winner. Yeah. Um, the highest grossing movie of that year and right. like an important cultural touchstone also. Yeah, and like the Fugitive got nominated. Don't get me wrong, Fugitive's fucking awesome. But like yeah, the Jurassic Park. I mean, the score on that is also super recognizable. Yeah. It's, you know, people don't talk about the fucking Fugitive anymore. No. They talk about Jurassic Park, and they were before they made Jurassic World. Yeah. You know? I mean, there's... It brought dinosaurs back. Yeah. Like, kids loved fucking dinosaurs in the 90s. Yeah. I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was... Yeah, if you were if you were born in, like, the late 80s, you had a dinosaur phase. Yeah. And you were growing up. At, at least, like, if you were a boy or if you were a girl. Like, you... There was... You were dinosaur adjacent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it makes you think the... Did, did it get nominated for visual effects? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Because that's, like... That was one of the things I showed... So, Kelly... My partner had had hasn't seen hadn't seen a lot of movies growing up. They just weren't a big like let's go out to the movies family. And mine was yeah. Um, but a movie like Jurassic Park, it's hard to imagine anyone could miss it because it, it's grossed like billions of dollars, not billions, but like it's grossed like seven hundred fifty million dollars or something ridiculous. Yeah, and spawned like tons of sequels that have grossed a ton of money too. So that she was one of the people who never saw it. I was surprised. So it came on one day and I was like, no, no, we need to restart this movie. You need to watch it from the beginning. You know, that annoying asshole. And I, she was stunned because the effects are so good. Yeah, they hold up. It's crazy. And part of that is Spielberg's insistence on practical effects for them. Yeah, it was like, 
not fifty fifty, but a little bit of both. Yeah, yeah. But a- any dinosaur that kind of gets like close to any like, of the like actors, T Rex was practical. Yeah, the Velociraptors were practical. Yeah, the um, Brachiosaur was not right. Obviously. Yeah, they didn't build like a hundred and eighty <laughs> foot tall like Colossus. Uh, it'd be one of like the wonders of the modern world. Yeah. This shit. Like that skeleton thing. I'm not, I'm not going to talk about Kubo. But. It was nominated for three Oscars and won all three. It was nominated. Sound editing, sound mixing, and visual effects. That, that's a crime. It should have been nominated <laughs> for way more. I mean, the acting is good. Don't get me wrong. Like, yeah, I could have seen like Malcolm getting a supporting actor. Jeff Goldblum. For me. Yeah. Um, he was probably the best acting in the movie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Sam O'Neill was good. Lord Dern's great. Yeah. But like... And I don't know, if, uh, maybe not, maybe it's a Mad Max kind of movie where like, maybe the screenplay doesn't sneak in that year, but it's adapted, so it probably does. Um, but like, it wasn't nominated for score either, which is crazy. Yeah. You know, John Williams scored it and Schindler's List, which he won for. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it's weird. It's, I, 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 I do wonder if it has, um, if, if it has a uh, Michael Crichton, like kind of rolling in his grave that we're talking about it without talking about like being kind of like eh, about the screenplay because like this movie came out adapted one of his screenplays and then every one of his books got turned into a movie like, I think he adapted it I'm not positive on that I know he got fired from Jurassic Park 3 for from writing for telling them that the movie sucks <laughs> no like uh, for they didn't like the script he was writing yeah um Jurassic Park 2, Lost World's been on TV for some reason. It's not good. It's not very good. It's not good. Uh, yeah, screenplay was Michael Crichton. Yeah. So, yeah, so once once they, they tapped that, uh, like, oil vein, they really kind of <laughs> struck gold with, like, Congo being turned into a movie in the next couple of years. I know, that, like, The Sphere was turned into a movie. Timeline was going to be a TV show, or was it a TV show? Uh, it was a TV show. Yeah. Didn't do well, but... Yeah, I think The Andromeda Strain was a movie. Yeah, it was. Uh, uh, Eaters of the Dead was turned into the... It wasn't called that. It was called The Seventh Warrior or whatever. Yeah. With Antonio Banderas. So that was... Um, Micro was not. Congo was. Yeah, a ton. Yeah. Um, we, we were reading Michael Crichton books off my shelf. I like reading Michael Crichton books. <laughs> yeah. They're easy to read. Well, he was also, at the time, like, like one of the, like, a really accessible writer who uh, did a lot of research into the science that he based his sci-fi off of. Yeah. So, like, spent time, like, re- I mean, that's, that's the whole thing. Like, people talk, like, people act surprised recently when they were like, oh, no, we're pretty sure that the real Velociraptors were like basically the size of chickens and probably had feathers. And uh, probably... they, they were. They just totally. So those are the ones in the movie are essentially like they're called Utah Raptors, right? But it's funny that 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 people act surprised, like because within the past like ten years where they've like confirmed like oh dinosaurs had feathers, yeah. Uh, but that's Dr. Grant's whole hypothesis at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, that was he's based off of a guy I forget what his name is, an actual. Paleontologist yeah, who, who theorized that. theorized that early on in the eighties. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, I mean that's uh, that's some, uh, Jurassic World got a lot of beef because the one reason that people like Jurassic Park so much is that it was pretty accurate. Yeah, uh, with what the dinosaurs looked like, with what we thought they looked like at the time. Yeah, um, they were they were annoyed at Jurassic World because they were like, "Well, why are you gonna give them like feathers? Why would you like?" And they were like, "It's we're in the movie." 
yeah. universe. In the movie we universe. already established that they don't. We can't just change that all of a sudden. And also, if they wanted to justify it, they could say these dinosaurs are genetically modified With to have frog DNA. DNA of frogs. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also forgot, this has got to be one of the first, uh, Jurassic Park, one of the first movies for uh, Benedict Wong. Oh, it's got to be early for him, that's true. He's one of the few characters who's in like the whole series. Yeah. Because he's still the scientist at uh, Fallen Kingdom, and he is in the first movie. I will say, the good thing about the screenplay, and maybe why it should have gotten nominated to get us back on track a little bit here, was... Uh, no, let's just talk about Jurassic Park. Yeah, I'm down. <laughs> um, they uh, took all the villains out, kind of, of the book. Because mm-hmm. they don't, you don't need them. Right. They knew that enough. I think Hammond was an asshole in the book. Didn't like his kids. Was like annoyed that he had to have all these people here fucking with his shit. Right. Um, and there were, you know, a couple of characters that kind of got morphed into like Muldoon. Yeah. Or whatever. But like Nedry was a really small role. The lawyer wasn't as like annoying. Yeah. He, yeah. The lawyer in the movie's not trying to shut the park down. No, he's just an annoying he's, dude. You he, just don't hate it when he dies. Yeah. He's there for the insurance company. Yeah. Um, but they knew like what like oh the dinosaurs the the villain here is just the situation we don't need to like create bad people in yeah, this universe the villain is basically hubris right is you know man thinking that he can do whatever he wants without ethical consequence which is what you know Ma- Dr. Malcolm says in the boardroom at the end of their tour right like you 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 didn't ask why like why sorry I forgot the quote yeah it's you didn't ask you didn't think about if you should but before you, you thought about if you could before you thought about if you should. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so there's really no need for a villain. And I mean, even Nedry's like not, like we only get like his aftermath. Yeah. And then Sam Jackson swearing at a computer for, you know, 10 minutes of screen time. Yeah, I guess Sam Jackson's the only character you like like that does. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, Muldoon's fine, but he's real cocky. Yeah. Yeah, and he also kind of refers to the, his team members that die as like pawns on a chessboard. Yeah. When he's talking about how they were learned how to feed the raptors. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I definitely agree. Should have gotten more. I mean, it is very impressive uh, for the uh, audio and visual experiences, but mm. I mean, you brought up Mad Max. That's my big soapbox that I talked about that year is, you know, Mad Max was reveled for its, you know, technical excellence. Right. And had all of the things that, you know, if if you explained each of the awards that it was nominated for, and then you said, and then add acting, that is the definition of a movie. Like, right. so it said that it was the best in class at everything except for acting, and then it, like, was a long shot from Best Picture. Yeah. Which blew my mind. Yeah, I guess it was, I don't think it got nominated for screenplay. Did it? I don't know. I don't think it did. But, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I was super happy to see it nominated. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, my pick that year was Ex Machina, so it was, I was on board with you kind of a little bit there. Yeah, it's 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 always hard when you try and parse, and I mean, it's, it's what we do, uh, when you try and parse, like, why a movie got nominated somewhere but not somewhere else, because, right. I mean, things, not, not sound like too, like, derivative, but. You know, things get recognized for what they do best and not what they don't. Like, so right. like the acting in Mad Max is fine, but yeah. it's not, like, the best part of Mad Max is, like, the feeling of 
Yes. The Fury Road. And that feeling is the audio, the visual, the editing. Right. Like, that's where it should get its due praise. Right. Um, I still hate that it didn't win. But, you know, <laughs> I'm going to be a snot about that forever. Likewise with Kubo for not winning visual effects. Like, Kubo should have won visual Or just effects. animated picture. Yeah. I've turned this into something that I didn't want to turn it into, which was me just talking about all the things that I like and talking shit about other things. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to bring up uh, kind of a, another big soapbox in a particular year. Um, but I th- was thinking about a conversation I had with Kelly. She was asking why we didn't uh, have more animated movies in the talk of fame. And I brought it up to you. Yeah. And she, I was I, I used as an example just my like Xfinity, like go search for animated movies and see what they are. And it was a really easy uh, categorization of of two types of movie there. Mm-hmm. There are bad movies that none of us have seen that will never make it into the talk of fame that no one wants to see. And then there are fantastic movies that we all have seen that if we put them in up for the talk of fame, they would immediately get it. Right. Like, And that really is kind of the division. You know, obviously when you get into like Pixar or like some of like the like golden era Disney stuff... Um, there's, there's, there is debate there. They may not be auto includes, you know, like, I don't know if Aladdin gets in, but like, if you ask me if Little Mermaid does, I'd probably say yes. Right. Um, I don't think Ratatouille gets in, but if you ask about the Incredibles, I'd say, well, fuck yes. Right. Um, so I thought about like, well, what's, what's the, what's the biggest year for an animated movie and, and what happened with it? And so I went to the Lion King and I think it is interesting that a, the Academy almost never nominates animated movies in Best Picture. It's happened three times. And only once before they expanded. Only once before they expanded. Yeah, yeah what, Beauty and, the Beast, Beauty and the Beast up in Toy Story 3? Is that it? Yeah. Okay. Um, and 1995, like, I get Forrest Gump. It's a year of Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump was nominated for everything won everything. I'm yeah. not mad at that. Yeah. Forrest Gump was a fantastic movie. That is a 94 year. This year stacked, man. Yeah. Uh, Pulp Fiction yeah. gets lots of due. Obviously, Quentin Tarantino, they knew they had something with him. Shawshank. Uh, right. Yeah, Shawshank uh, and Quiz Show. Uh, you know, all all four fantastic movies. The one that I just don't know about is Four Weddings and a Funeral, nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, I've never seen it. That seems like the the odd one out. I know people love it, and it's like a, you know, supposedly a, a well-produced comedy, but I just, I just don't understand <laughs> if, like, if your odd one out is already like, you know, you've got Shawshank, Forrest Gump, you know, these biopics, these, yeah. you know, period pieces, you know, you've got Pulp Fiction, uh, you know, if you're, if you're going to take a, a fringe category and you're going to go comedy, why not take a fringe cat- category and go animated? Yeah. Like, I wonder if there was pushback in 91 when they nominated Beauty and the Beast. Maybe. I wonder if they were like scared to. Or maybe they were like, "Why is this kids' movie getting nominated for the best movie?" Yeah, of the year? I don't know. I wonder. I'm, I'm interested to go back and read some about that because Beauty and the Beast is fucking phenomenal. It was really good. Yeah, it's really good, and the animation is incredible. It's really good. It's like the ballroom scenes are ridiculous. Oh man. yeah, it's one of the I earliest. Know, I don't know how they did that. I mean, yeah, they they blended styles of animation. Yeah, by like literally taking a a like like numerous pictures of their foreground and then a rotating background. Right. Like it, it looks CGI. Yeah. Yeah. No, but, but that is a good one. I mean, I think Lion King is criminally underrated. It's probably in my like top 10 of the nineties. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it, it teaches kids Shakespeare without telling them it's Shakespeare. Yeah. Yeah. It's the most Hamlet-y Hamlet. Yeah. 
Yeah, movie so dang good. But I I will always, especially after seeing, we went and saw Us, if you didn't listen to the last podcast, we, we went and saw Us in the theater, and we got a trailer for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I was wrong about what I thought the movie was about, but because the trailer opens with uh, Brad Pitt being introduced as the stuntman. Yeah. Uh, my, my biggest, uh, you know, drum to beat is always that there should be Oscars for stunt people, there should be Oscars for voice work, and there should be more recognition of, like, animated movies. Just yeah. in some categories. Right. Like, you know, I get that what it takes to act is very different than what it takes to be a voice actor. But they show that you can, and they should more, I feel like. I mean, like, you get Kubo with a nomination in special effects, and you get uh, um, Inside Out with a nomination in Best Screenplay. Yeah. Like, they're willing to do it. I don't know why they don't do it more. I mean, like, this year, I don't know that there was anything that was deserving to be outside of the category. Uh, maybe a special effects for Spider-Man. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. But, um, yeah, 100% on stunt. Like, there should be three awards there for ensemble, male and female. Yeah. And uh, especially female stunt, there can't just because there can't be that many. Oh yeah, you know. I mean, we also last year we lost two stunt women. Yeah, one who was doing stunts for uh, Gal Gadot, and the other one for um, Domino uh, Zazie Beetz. Yeah, in Deadpool two, like it is like when Brad Pitt's character in the trailer for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood says the line like, "Yeah, I carry the load." Like that, they do a lot of fucking work. And they, they put their bodies on the line, and it is an art. Yeah, and for the same reason, the actors that do the same thing, like Tom Cruise is fucking amazing at that shit. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. There, there's some YouTube video that randomly got pushed to me for, like through the algorithm that was, uh, it's a bunch of maps of all of the places that Tom Cruise has run in all of his movies. Nice. That's and it's just awesome. like, it just like draws like a dash line for everywhere he runs. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, and, and, and in the same breath, you know, with... Uh, Dumbo coming out this year, and uh, all of the like uh, live acted CGI and um, Lion King coming out. People like fucking Andy Circus need recognition oh my God. by the Academy more than just like a lifetime achievement award. Uh, he better get that at some point, at least. But, yeah, yeah, he does for sure. Especially, I was listening to uh, to Willem Dafoe's. Um, uh, iconic roles, you yeah, know, that series, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he was talking about uh, his friend who uh, was helping him with this movie. This guy, uh, Terry Notary, and I was like, "Fucking Terry Notary, yeah!" Like back in '92, yeah. is teaching actors how to act like apes, yeah, and is just like phenomenal at it. And like, does he really have to do some a movie like The Square where he is a person who's acting like an ape to get? Like, any recognition. Right. That's the only reason why we, why we know his name. Yeah. Other than being the other gorilla mocap guy than Andy Circus. Yeah. Yeah, I think he did, what did he do, King Kong that year? Yeah. Yeah. Who did King Kong in the, was that Andy Circus in the Peter Jackson one? Uh, it was Andy Circus in the Peter Jackson one, yeah. Okay. And, and then Terry, Terry Notary in the most recent Yeah. One. And then it was Terry Notary back in... It was Willem Dafoe was talking about the Planet of the Apes remake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was all Terry Notary. Uh, right. Oh, the the most recent ones. The no, Charlie, no, no. The, 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 the old ones. The Tim Burton one, yeah. Uh, okay, because that's not CGI. That's no. makeup, right? Yeah. Um, um, man, that movie was rough, though. Yeah, it is. 
<laughs> yeah. forgot it existed. Well, I mean, Defoe really only talks about it because he talks about Terry Notary. Uh, okay. And he talks about, like, bringing the physicality of the uh, ape stuff yeah. to, like, other roles. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, those, I mean, other than this past year with Annihilation just getting completely fucking snubbed from everything. Uh, it was a beautiful movie. It was a beautiful movie. I mean, visual effects is so hard because there's the bake-off. And I understand that, like, that's just something that I wish I could sit through. I wish I wish they made it public. Oh my god! To be able to see the because it's it gets down to twenty movies at that point. Yeah, and then there's a twenty minute sizzle reel for each movie. Yeah, I would love to sit there and just like see the process. Yeah, of what these visual effects designers are saying is what makes them better or the best in show. Yeah, but a movie like Annihilation is just pure effect. Again, it's, the, it's that Mad Max thing. Like, the best thing about Annihilation is the feeling. Right. Except in Mad Max, you feel, like, the frenetic energy. In this, you just feel so out of place and alien. And it's just... It's done so well that I'm, I was surprised it didn't get any nominations for sound, for for visual effects, or anything. Yeah. We, when we saw it, we were, like, sure it was. I remember a year yeah. ago now. Yeah. yeah. Another weird one that I think we probably talked about because the movie came out while we had the podcast was uh, a movie that got nominated everywhere except for Lead Actress, which we thought was like maybe some of the best part of the movie, and that was Amy Adams in Arrival. Yeah. Was just a... And I think part of that was just like people honestly probably forgot. Yeah. like Same with Annihilation. Annihilation came out in yeah, January. Right. Just got left off. Um, but it was just bizarre that Amy Adams was not, especially Amy Adams, who gets nominated for fucking everything. She's been nominated like six times. Yeah, she's been nominated basically for any year she's in a movie, right. except for Arrival, which got nominated for like six other things. Yeah, didn't make any sense. Yeah, I don't know who who had bump off the list for Arrival. I'm pulling up the the uh, lead actress awards that year, um, but I, I am pleased that. Especially recently, acting awards are pretty on point. You know, I was not that excited this year with Out Eternity's Gate sneaking a nominee, but then I watched it, and Willem Dafoe is really fucking good in it. Yeah. Um, you know, of course we I we I say without committing you guys to it, but we'll not take back my word. We loved um, uh, First Reformed, and if he got a nomination for that for acting and bumped Defoe, I wouldn't be upset about it. Right. I'd probably knock off that year. So that year you had Emma Stone for La La Land, Isabella Huppert for Elle, Ruth Nega for Loving, Natalie Portman for Jackie, and Meryl Streep for Fluffalo Janks. Uh, I'd probably knock off Ruth Nega, honestly. I wasn't super impressed with her, even though I liked Loving a lot. Yeah. Um, and I, I would definitely have Amy Adams in, in ahead of Meryl and Florence Foster Jenkins, another movie that I liked a lot. Yeah. Uh, I just thought Hugh Grant was the star there. Yeah. Uh, and he didn't get nominated. Because Dev Patel got nominated for Best Supporting Actor, which is ridiculous yeah. for Lion. Yeah, because I guess they, they couldn't tell the difference between... Uh, the, they thought there were two different characters. <laughs> the little boy in Lion and the older man in Lion. Yeah. Definitely would have put Del Patel in for Andrew Garfield and Hacksaw Ridge for lead actor. Yeah. And then, yeah, put in Hugh Grant there and best supporting actor in that <laughs> hole that was left. Yeah. But, are there any other 
uh, uh, omissions or movies you want to you want nothing big out? man I was actually I was I'm with you on the acting I looked recently like I got back to like 2004 and I was like no these are all fine there's nobody who's like horrible I mean Garfield was probably one of the I thought he was pretty bad yeah in the first half of Hacksaw Ridge mm-hmm. um, so that was weird but yeah nothing that was like Brent's or our editing issues with you know, <sighs> Bohemian Rhapsody yeah yeah, I, re- I really do think that this is one of the weaker years for uh, winners, um, not just because of Green Book, but also because it was just really hard. Like, it's hard to justify, like, in the future, why Bohemian Rhapsody won for best editing. It's, yeah, aside from Rami Malek, and I don't love that, but aside from that, there's no reason that movie should have been winning anything. Yeah. Um, I would much rather have had. It is much easier for me to swallow Green Book winning Best Picture than it is for Bohemian Rhapsody winning anything except for Best Lead Actor, or 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 if it won like makeup. <laughs> yeah, like sure, we found. Um, but yeah, so hopefully, going forward, I will stop talking about uh, Green Book unless we're watching the Best Picture nom. We unless we're watching the Best Picture nom, but even then, I'll keep it brief because Brent still hasn't seen one. He thinks is. Worse. What? Best Picture winner. What? Oh, he still he thinks that Green Book is at the bottom? Uh, for him. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. I think I've already seen two that I said I liked Green Book better. Yeah, well, All the Kingsmen. And all the Kingsmen and uh, the one I just talked about English last podcast. Patient. English Patient, yeah. yeah. And But most of those are just like personal preference. That's what I liked better. Right. I don't know if, if I think that Green Book is a better movie or not, like, period, like academically. Right. Well, um, I mean, just like, what would you vote for if you had a... They were all on the same ballot. If they're all on the same ballot, I, I would probably vote for Green Book over the two of those. Yes, that's that's a yeah, that's fine. Um, but did you, by chance, uh, are you surprised right now that I'm about to ask you about homework? Uh, no, we are we are out of rotation uh, because people are traveling and people are uh, you know busy. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, I know what I want to do. Yeah, I'm actually going to assign another movie from the same year from one of the best friends of Alejandro Inarritu. Alejandro Inarritu. Uh, we're doing Guillermo del Toro's monster war movie, Pan's Labyrinth, which was my favorite of that year. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll probably do a talk of fame on it unless I come up with something better. Okay. But yeah, it's um, probably my favorite foreign film outside of... Uh, Maybe Motorcycle Diaries, I really, really like a lot. Yeah. But um, I think I like it better than City of God. I was a huge fan of Pat's Labyrinth. Yeah, yeah. and City of God. But uh, I love the, the the storytelling with the Spanish Civil War. And, uh, you know, doing what he do. The yeah. monsters were awesome. Yeah. So, Pan's Labyrinth. Nice. It's on Netflix. We'll save all the praise and the words for next week, then. Well, all right. Takes out. All right. Well, watch Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, what's it streaming on? Do you know? Netflix. It's on Netflix. Check out Payne's Labyrinth for the episode next week, and we'll talk about that. Uh, but for now, this has been Talk to Talk Podcast with Media by Us. You can find us on Facebook in our groups, TV by Us, Movie by Us, Game by Us, or you can like our fan page, The Media by Us. Uh, you can send us an email, uh, themediabyus at gmail.com. You can tweet us at the media by Us. You can find us on Postmates, and you can we'll drive something to your house, but it has to be a single beer and a dozen wings. Uh, you can rate our podcast uh, on whatever you want to rate podcasts on. We would appreciate the rating. 
This one felt more like a fiver. Uh, and yeah. then I want to give a special thanks to the Willow Walkers in their intro. Willow Walkers. And thanks to Rufa. And thanks to TJ for being here. Thanks, bud. All right. Bye. Taking rocks down old dusty roads. Small town, slow pokes, long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that I know. All the things.